You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. We are, as those of you who have been here last week, you know we are uh, going through a series of letters in the Bible that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by Paul. Uh, For those of you who have been connected to Acts Church for a long time, uh, you're familiar with the fact that our last study was in the book of Acts. About two and a half years we spent in the book of Acts. If you've come and joined us more recently, you can go and binge watch seasons 1 through 28, that's how many chapters there were, of the Acts series on Vimeo.com. There's the address there if you want to write that down. I don't see anybody writing. Okay. Um, Apparently Netflix is more fun. That's okay. We are going to study the letters from Paul to these churches that he visited. Many of them were the churches he visited on these missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. And so we're going to get to see uh, kind of what, what he was saying to them after he left. And so we're actually going to start with the first letter uh, that Paul ever wrote, we believe, around 50 AD. So this is you know, 20 years from, from Jesus rising from the dead, somewhere in there. Uh, Paul writes this letter to the church of Thessalonica. Say that 10 times fast if you can. Thessalonica is in Macedonia, Greece, okay? And the book is called First Thessalonians. And it's called First Thessalonians because there's two of them. First and Second Thessalonians, both clever names. Um, but to put our, our study in context as we kind of jump in, we want to look at the book of Acts and the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. So we want to we go through the part that we saw where he was there so that when we read the Bible, when we read his letter to the Thessalonians, we have a little more context. So if you have a Bible, open it up to, we're going to start in Acts chapter 17, right at the beginning of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, We've got them in front of you in these chairs or around you somewhere. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take one home. That's our gift to you. If you didn't bring a Bible today, feel free to grab it. It's going to be up on the screen, but it's, it's nice to be able to have paper and to, to walk through it. So if you want to grab a Bible, there should be one around you somewhere. Um, turn to Acts 17, 1 through 10. It says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. That's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's what we know about Paul, Silas, and we think Timothy was there too, about their experience in Thessalonica. That's it. From Acts 17, that's what we know. We know that they went in and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ starting in the synagogue, which is what Paul normally did. For those of you who have been through the book of Acts, you know that he normally went to the synagogue first. And the reaction here in this synagogue was that some people, particularly what's, what's, where they're talking about these Greek, these devout Greeks, these are Greek God-fearers. Right, and, and if you if you understand what a God fear is, so you would have Jewish people, you'd have the synagogue, and there'd be people who were Jews, full Jews, uh, you know, born as as Jews and whatever, and then you'd have proselytes, people who had become Jews and gone through all of the of the rites and the rituals that needed to happen to become 
uh, proselytes, so they were fully Jews. And then you had God-fears. Those are the people who appreciated that there was one true God, recognized that Judaism was correct, liked the Old Testament. They were good with all that, not so much with the circumcision thing, right? So they weren't wanting the whole snap-cut thing, and so they were God-fearers. Uh, they could just be called circumcision-fearers because, really, that was the thing that was keeping them from becoming proselytes, okay? So there's a bunch of these Greek God-fearers over there, and then these prominent women, who came along and decided to follow Christ. They joined them. They gave their lives, lives to Christ. And, and then we saw the church at Thessalonica starts moving. It starts moving forward. It's got some people. They, they're following Christ. They're going. We don't know exactly how much time passed between the three Sabbaths that Paul spent in the synagogue and this next section where it says that the Jews got envious and they, and they rounded up these, these troublemakers and so on. We don't know how long that was. At least one author of a commentary thinks it could have been months, maybe six months. Some say, no, it was just the three weeks, and immediately after that, these guys came and Paul and Silas were out. But basically, the people in Thessalonica had had the benefit of the leadership of, of the Apostle Paul and his crew for somewhere between a few weeks and a few months when Paul had to leave, okay? So the trouble starts, right? They, they, they get some folks, some folks decide to follow them. The church starts up, the Jews get envious, and the trouble starts, right? There's some jealousy, some jealousy. And so they go to the marketplace, and they gather up evil men, right? They gather up these evil men. My mom would call them hoods. She used to call kids, like people who, they're just hoods. Those people are just, I think she means hood, hoodlums, um, but that's what she would say. Oh, that, that young man you're hanging around, he's a hood. Um, so that's who they went and got, right? They went and found the hoods. They go and they found these, these hoodlums. And, and these are the types of men you could find in a city like Thessalonica. They were easy to, to rile up and get going. And so that's what they did. They riled these guys up. And, uh, and the upshot was the local people and the local rulers got very worked up. They got very worked up, and there were two reasons why they did. I want to walk through the two reasons, because you need to understand as we go through the book of Thessalonians, you need to understand the context of what's happening, right? Where they are, what's going on, how did this church start? So these rulers of the city and, these, and the general people of the city are very upset. They're very worked up. That's what it says in the, in the scripture. Number one, they were bringing general upheaval to the culture. General upheaval to the culture. It says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. This is what Jesus Christ did then when he went into some place. He turned the world upside down. And this is what Jesus Christ does now. He turns the world upside down now. And so these people didn't like it. These Thessalonians, they're idol worshipers, okay? I mean, big time idol worshipers. They had all kinds of idols from Greek idols to Roman ones to other places in the world, uh, Egyptian and so on. And, and they worshiped these idols. And they worshiped idols of, of things like sex and drunkenness, things like that. These were, these were the kinds of, you can imagine what those worship services were like, and that is what they were like. Don't imagine too much because you don't have to repent. But that's what was going on. That's what was going on in the city. They were all about all of these idols. They were all about pleasure and drunkenness and sexuality and, and immorality. That's what they were all about, okay? And everything was copacetic as long as you did what everybody else did. Okay, as long as you went around with the crowd and you worshipped a bunch of idols and didn't make a big deal about it, you were fine, right? You were good. It, you could worship all of the sex, the drunkenness, the, the nonsense that they had, and you could bring into that any number of gods that you wanted to bring in. You got a shelf up there and there's like, here's my this god and here's my that god. They're like, you know, figurines, right? Like, like Glenn Cook's Lord of the Rings figurines that he has on his shelf. You're not laughing because you probably think it's true, and it may be. I don't know. You know. That, I'm not saying anything. He's got a big map too, apparently. But okay, I was kidding. But Glenn's got Lord of the Rings figurines. Give him some stuff about that. All right. Wow. So they're putting their idols, Gandalf idol, Frodo idol, whatever, up on their things, right? And they're like, you can bring Jesus in and stick him up there with everybody else and just chill, right? You you can add whatever religious practice you want. Just be cool. Just be cool. That's how they that's how they felt. Don't rock the boat. Just be cool. You can bring Jesus in. Cool, bring Jesus in. But just be like the rest of us, right? Don't rock the boat. But these Christ followers were different. They were different. They worshiped one God and they rejected completely idol worship. 
Okay? Now, the Jews had already done this. They had said, we worship the one true God, and they were against idol worship. But for whatever reason, that hadn't caused this kind of a stir. But when these people come in, and all these Greeks, these Gentile believers, these prominent women, all these people start coming to Christ and saying, I reject this system of idolatry. I object the worship of, of pleasure and sex and evil. I, I, I reject all that, and I worship the one true God and King, Jesus Christ. People are like, chill. Chill. Don't, be, don't turn the world upside down. Don't turn the world upside down. And this is the experience of so many people who come out of their life that God has saved them out of and get, and get saved and follow Christ. So many of them, they start wanting to talk about Jesus. They're transformed in their habits and the things they care about. They no longer worship the idols that, that our society worships of, of the same things they did, sex, money, power, intoxication. But they set their minds on things above, and they take, and they take morality and their behavior seriously, and they're serious about following Christ, and it's the most important thing in their life. And the reaction that so many people have to them is, come on, be cool. Chill, right? Do your Jesus thing. Just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. It's personal. Don't, don't come over here and affect my life with your religion. Don't let your following of Jesus Christ make me have to think hard about my own life. I don't want that. I don't want the, the boat to be rocked. Man, you are harshing my mellow, man. Right? Come on. Dude. Don't you know? Just name God whatever you want to. Be spiritual, right? Send me good thoughts when I'm sick. I'm sending you good thoughts. I don't even know how to send good thoughts. I've tried, but I don't know how that works. But they're not going to heal anybody, right? But that's, but that's safe. Send me good thoughts. When we go for a hike in the mountain, you can talk about how God made creation, and we can all feel good for a minute and not think about all the brokenness and sin and the, and the gong show that my life is because we're up in the mountains and it's all so nice and God's so good as long as I don't have to think about God holding me accountable, right? Keep that away from me. Don't tell me about Jesus. Don't tell me about the real Jesus. Don't tell me about the real Jesus. Don't, don't talk about things that transform, that change, that chasten. And so they're basically, don't turn the world upside down. I'm comfortable and some people get angry. Some of you experience this with your own families or your own friends. They get angry. There's anger there. Maybe not quite to the extent of a mob of hoods, um, but they're angry, right? And so here are these Thessalonians. They're idol worshipers. They're used to a system, right? They're used to a system where you don't, socially, you don't mess with it. You let it go. You don't reject it. I'm okay. You're okay. I can go do this and you can go do that and we're all going to be cool. Sound familiar? That's what's going on. And these people come in and they say, no, there's a right, there's a wrong. Jesus Christ died, rose again. There's truth. There's, there's real justice. There's real truth. There's real mercy. There's real hope. These are real things. And we reject this culture. And they said, don't turn the world upside down. Really, it's not going upside down, right? What we know is that the world is upside down. And Jesus Christ turns it right side up. It just depends on which way you're looking. But people want the, the, the Jesus as my homeboy vibe, right? You've seen those t-shirts. Jesus, the, the Jesus that's like cool with everything, everything can just stay the way it is. You know, that Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that, that is, is not asking anything of you. The good teacher, Jesus. The one with the sheep. You've seen the picture, right? That's that, the soft, the gentle. Not the real Jesus. Not the one who brings radical love, radical transformation, right? Radical peace. No, that's not what they want. They don't want the Jesus who commands confession and repentance and turning and submission to him as Lord. That kind of Jesus, that would turn the world upside down for them. They don't want it. They don't want it. And maybe that's some people in the church today. Maybe that's some people in this building today. Right? I'll go to church. I'll put a fish on my car. Do people still do that? Put a fish on their car? I stopped doing that because, well, I'm a terrible driver. Um, <laughs> Some of you are like, I know. Um, but you don't put the fish on there, you know, like, oh, that's a pastor. Praise the Lord. Um, but I do, when people drive with me, they do pray more. So I don't know if that helps. I, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to put the, the fish on my car. I'm going I'm to sort of go to a certain extent, right? I'll be a cultural Christian. But when it comes to standing against the world and all that the world offers, 
I don't want to harsh anyone's mellow. I don't want people to be upset. I want to be a Christian personally. This is my personal belief, but I don't want to turn the world right side up. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to turn the world right side up. I don't want to harsh mellows. I don't want to mess with people's vibes. I want to just let people be people and me be me. And if you keep Jesus on a shelf and you uh, continue to worship the other idols of our culture that everyone expects you to worship, few people are going to mind. People aren't going to get mad at you if you do that, right? But if you put Jesus out front, you live holy for him and make him Lord of your life, you follow him, what that really means, you're going to watch the sparks fly. You're going to watch the sparks fly because people in your sphere of influence will feel like your Christ following is turning their world upside down. And they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it. This is the reason that the Thessalonian people and leaders of the Thessalonian people were sideways with these new Christ followers. One of these reasons was they're turning the world upside down. They're messing with our thing that we've got. Now, there's another reason, too, and this is an interesting one. It takes a minute to walk through because we've got to kind of walk through some history here. Now, some of you love it when we talk history and show maps and whatever, and some of you are like, you know, but we're going to have to walk through some, okay? Thessalonica is in Macedonia. That's the northern section of Greece. There should be a map up on your screen. You can see it. It's got a big red dot, Thessalonica, okay? It sits in a great location. It's a port city. It's surrounded by fertile land with the right weather conditions for growing grain. Okay, it's not really a Mediterranean climate where you grow olives and things like that. You can grow grain because it has cold winters and, and warm summer, summers. Okay, so it had, it had the right temperature to grow a lot of food. It was situated in a place that was really great. It had uh, uh, all kinds of animals, uh, space for animals to graze, right? All kinds of land to, to grow stuff. All kinds of fish, if you like fish. In the waters, there were forests, there were gold and silver, uh, copper and lead mines. Okay, they had a lot. It was strategically located on, a thing, on something called the Via Ignatia, which is the, the road from Rome across the empire, right, to get across there. There was a road, an overland road, and they were right there on it. And, of course, they had access to the sea because they're a port right there. So this is a place that is just, this is a jewel, the metropolis of the region. Okay? And all kinds of people lived there. After the conquest of Alexander the Great, y'all probably have heard of Alexander the Great. Apparently he was pretty great. I don't know. That's what they called him. He, he went and kind of conquered the whole world, the Greek world, okay? a few hundred years before Christ. But after he died, there was some kind of back and forth, but Macedonia and Thessalonica, kind of, they were, it was a kingdom. There was a king. Okay? And they were actually pretty strong. They, had, they, were, they were good at warfare and so on. And actually the Romans came and tried to take over and they defeated the Romans. And they would defeat the Romans when the Romans would come try to mess with them until they didn't. And at some point, they didn't. Okay? They, 168 B.C., the Romans kicked their bottoms. Mom, bottoms, right? Um, you have to come every week if you want to catch that. was from last week. Um, and they absolutely looted the area. They just looted the total, total area. And they collected so much booty from Thessalonica, so much stuff they got, that literally, if you were a Roman citizen, you didn't have to pay direct taxes for 100 years. That's how wealthy they were. That when the Rome came in and beat them and took all their stuff, all Roman citizens did not have to pay direct taxes for 100 years. Makes me think we should invade Canada. But I don't know. We'll, we'll talk through that one later. Edit that out of the recording. Um, love Canada. Love those people. It's a lot of stuff, right? This is a wealthy group of people. And then the Romans came and messed their economy up. They closed down the mines. They controlled how much logging they could do from these forests that they had. They controlled how much cultivating the food they could do. And the Thessalonian people didn't like that. So they said, that didn't work out very well. We lost. So what they did was they became sycophants. A sycophant is basically a bottom kisser. Okay? Um, once again, mom, I'm good. Bottom kisser. Um, I couldn't think of any other really good. Yes, men. They, they basically would go like this and gauge the way the wind was blowing. 
And that's the way they would go as far as the different uh, empires and leaders and whatever. Uh, this, is, this is shown to us because I don't know how many of you remember reading Julius Caesar. Uh, we had to read it as sophomores in high school, the play by Shakespeare, or you've studied uh, Julius Caesar and, and his assassination and so on. But if you've done that, then you may remember two guys named Brutus and Cassius. Okay, and Brutus, you remember et tu Brute and all that kind of stuff. I'm the only one. Okay, that's fine. Um, they, they, these guys conspired to kill Julius Caesar. Okay, he was the emperor of Rome. And when the Roman world, uh, when this happened, the Roman world was somewhat in upheaval. And Brutus and Cassius took off and actually they went to Thessalonica. And then Octavian and Mark Antony, Octavian would later become Caesar Augustus, and Mark Antony were kind of against Brutus and Cassius, and there was kind of this, you know, they were raging war for control of the Roman Empire. Well, the Thessalonians said, okay, Brutus, we're cool with you, when he came, and they supported him. And then they decided, I don't know that that's, you know, the wind was blowing a different way. I don't know if that's going to work. So they said, we're not cool with you. And he's like, well, then if I win against these guys, I'm going to come back and take all your stuff, right? And, and he didn't win. Brutus came, and Octavian and Antony defeated him. And so what they did then was they said, Antony, we love you. And they, and they put inscriptions of Mark Antony up everywhere. And this, they just honored him and just treated him, you know, just whatever, right? They, they, they gave him whatever, you know. But then here's the thing. Antony and Caesar Augustus, Octavian, started fighting. And guess who won? Octavian won. And then what happened? They tore down all the inscriptions to Antony. They didn't love him anymore. And they put up Octavian and said, we love you. You're the greatest. And they'd emperor worship and all this kind of stuff. This is the history of Thessalonica and Macedonia. This is the way that they avoided having them come and, and beat up on them and take all their stuff again. That's who they were as a people. And this is why this is important. You have to understand that to understand what we just read happened in Acts. You got to understand that these people... They, they basically worshipped, not basically, they did, they worshipped the emperor as king. Worshipped like he was a god, okay? And they would not let anyone talk about a new king in Macedonia, which is, you know, remember they were fighting way back. They had their own king. You weren't allowed to talk about that because they knew if that ever happened, if they ever started an uprising of any kind, that Rome would come and crush them and take all their stuff again and not pay taxes for another hundred years. They knew that was going to happen if they messed around. So it was very important that no one ever talked about an uprising or another king. Now, we read in Acts 17, 7, these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Then it says, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Yeah, yeah, it troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city because for almost 200 years they had kept everything cool by, by making nice with whoever was winning and not having an uprising. And because of that, they got to be a, a free city, which meant they didn't have Romans uh, garrisoned inside their city. They got to have a lot, of, a lot more uh, freedom in their own personal government and so on because they never talked about another king. And so when these Christians are coming, these new believers, and they're saying, we follow a king, Jesus, that is incredibly dangerous to them because they want to protect what they've got. It's the same kind of thing. In one sense, it's don't rock the boat spiritually. Don't rock the boat uh, with, with my day-to-day -day life. And this one, it's don't rock the boat economically. Don't rock the boat for what we've got going here. Don't start talking about another king. We don't need those rumors going around because then Caesar's going to come in. So that's, that's who these folks are. That's who the Thessalonians are. Are. And because of this, persecution started, as we saw there with Jason and dragging them out. And persecution continued. Major trials and tribulations awaited these brand new believers. Now imagine you had just become a new believer in Jesus Christ, okay? You accepted Christ. You're happy. You're, you're ready to go. And you get somewhere between three weeks and maybe six months of instruction. And then you're persecuted, and you don't have any of the leaders who are instructing you there. And you've got to keep making it work. And you're alone. And you're afraid. Not an easy thing for the Thessalonians to deal with, right? Not an easy trial for them to be under. And so uh, Paul has sent Timothy up there to encourage them. To meet with them to see how things were going. Have they been able to stick it out with, with all the persecution, with all the affliction that they've had? Or have they given up? So Timothy comes back and he says, no, we're generally, we got good news here. These folks are following Christ. And so uh, the report came back and then Paul writes, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And that's where we begin 
in Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. That's Silvanus is Silas. Okay? Silas. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop there for a second. Paul calls them the church of the Thessalonians. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. It's like that at the beginning of a lot of his letters and so on. But, but think about this. He's identified them. He's identifying them as the called out body of Christ. These people who are suffering affliction, who are dealing with all this stuff, who, have, who have, have been through everything they've been through, he's saying, listen, I'm identifying you. I'm calling you by name. You are the church, Christ's body. You are the church in God, the Father, and in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now listen, for those who were floundering around out there in Thessalonica, just like the people here who are, for those who were lonely, for those who were broken and left unsatisfied by the cults and the idolatry and the culture and the partying and the prostitution and all the things that went on there, and they found emptiness in that, and they wanted desperately, as all human beings do, to belong to something real. Right? That's who these Thessalonians were. They wanted to belong to something true. And Paul steps up and identifies them. You are the church at Thessalonica. You are part of something real and true and big. And you're connected with the body of Christ all over the world. You are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That may not seem significant to you, but... Oh boy, it's significant. People are rock, walking around today all over the world, and by the way, in your neighborhoods, and they're pasting on fake smiles and making misleading Facebook posts about what their life is really like, but inside, they're desperately looking for something true. They're desperately looking for something real, something that recognizes and expresses their real value and who they are, something that recognizes the world as it is. You know, the death rate from alcohol among middle-aged people, okay, and depends on what middle age is, okay, but let's just say 35, 45, 55 in that area, the death rate in the last 10 years, well, 2007 to 2017, a study came out, and it's going way up. And actually more with both men and women, but more with women than with men. People are becoming heavily, heavily, heavily addicted to alcohol, much more than they were 10 years ago. As we continue to walk through this broken culture, as we continue to walk through the lies and the deceit and the things that look like they're going to give you joy and leave you with nothing, there are people all over who are dealing with it. Interestingly, the young people are actually having much lower deaths from alcohol, as they're looking forward, believing that somebody's going to come out and tell them that there's something real and tell them that there's something true. They're holding on to that hope rather than drowning that away in intoxication, leading to all kinds of problems. They're, we have the, the young people right now, they're actually drinking less, having sex less, doing those things less. They're actually, they actually get their heads on their shoulders a little better than we did. I'm not saying they're not doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Kids, you know, do as do adults. But they're looking for something. And the people who are in middle age are saying, I, I've, I've been looking and I can't find something. And yet here we stand. Here we sit in this room with Jesus Christ, which is who they're looking for. They're lonely and afraid and broken. There's suicide, drug, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, addiction, all of these things because they're broken. They want to belong to something, but they don't know where to turn. So they turn to their cultural idols, and they hope for the best, and it never works out. And it doesn't matter what your idols are, by the way. You can have better ones or worse ones, depending on how you look at it. Family can be an idol. You can get all your value and all your hope in your family or your friends or some cause, or drugs or alcohol or hobbies or sports, work, sex, entertainment. All of those things can be things that you're putting your hope ultimately in. You're putting your hope in those things. It's not going to work out. It never does. It never does. It eventually leaves people feeling broken and alone. But this, this church of, of Thessalonica, these people, they were not alone. They were not alone, and Paul was telling them that. They did not have to be afraid. They were not alone. They were not by themselves. They were the church at Thessalonica. We already studied that they were facing persecution. We already talked about that. 
And yet, being in God the Father, being in the Lord Jesus Christ, was worth it to them. They'd only had weeks or months of training, and yet being the church, being his church, standing for him, was worth affliction, even with that little amount of maturity that they would have had. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And here's, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit can do amazing things if we're willing to let him do amazing things, right? And apparently he did here because these people being called out, that, that first line that we just read to the church at Thessalonica, being part of that, being part of being in Christ, was worth for them living for and dying for already was so little that they had learned. So that's who these people are, right? And here's, and here's more good news. If you're a Christ follower and you're called here, you are the church at Acts Church. You are part of the same group that they are part of. You are included. You are the, the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything, everything to look forward to that they did or that any, any of God's churches ever have is you're in him. He has you. You're with me. You're with this person, that person, and the people around you. You're a family. You belong. There's a lot of people walking out there who don't feel like they belong to anybody. There's a lot of people walking out there alone, truly feeling alone and hopeless. You have hope, and you've got friends. <laughs> you've got family. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have Christ. That's an amazing thing. When you think about the fact, we just talk about church. I'm going to go to church this weekend. I'm going to go to church. When you think about church, when that word comes up, you should start to feel something incredible when that word comes up. I'm part of Christ's church. It's a big deal. It was a big deal to them. Next part of this first verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you got your Bible, circle the word grace, circle the word peace, and then draw a line from grace to peace. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Grace is, is a gift. Some of you know what grace is. Some of you um, need to learn what grace is and, and understand what grace is because it's an amazing concept. It's, it's a gift from God that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. We haven't merited it. It's favor from God that we have not merited, something we get. Okay? This is this, just this word. You know, we're, we're five words into it. And then he says grace. And just this word, grace, turns the world upside down. It turns the world upside down because, listen, every philosophy and every religion that existed in that world and every one that exists in this world except for following Jesus Christ is a merit-based system, okay? It's about what you do so that God will do for you. It's about being good enough. These Thessalonian people have grown up in a city and in a region where there's all these idols, okay? And they would pray to these idols, and they would pray very differently than, than I think you probably pray. They would pray for things by telling these idols what they had done, right? So they'd be like, well, Zeus, give me a chariot because I sacrificed that nice pigeon, right? I did this. You give me. Give me some gold because I've been good, right? I've done the things you wanted to do. I made an inscription for you. You know, they would do all this stuff for these gods to try to merit the favor of these gods, Okay? They, they had the basic, basic system we've talked about before. Bad people have bad things happen to them. Good people have good things happen to them. It's kind of a karma type of system. You earn what you get, you get what you earn. And here, in the midst of that culture, and in the midst of our culture, Paul is coming out, out of the gate and saying, grace, grace. The message of the gospel it's not that you can go to God and pay your way in or sacrifice your way in. It's that you're broken and that it is absurd for you to parade your good works, your, your righteousness, which is just filthy rags, before God and expect him to grant your wishes like he's some kind of genie. To think that shows a profound ignorance of who you are and who God is. And you've got to understand that. C.S. Lewis says two things that we've got to get straight before we can go anywhere are that there is a law, right? There is a law that, that God has created and that we've all broken it. If you don't understand that, you don't understand anything. 
You've got to understand that. You've broken the law. God's law. Not just man's law. Maybe you've never broken the law. Man's law. But you've broken God's law. You've been a rebel with a wicked heart, with wicked thoughts, and done wicked actions. Yes, you have. All of us have. If you think you can go to God and ask for his favor, he's just going to forget about it because you threw a few bucks to some charity or even to his church or because you volunteered at church or, or helped the homeless or, or helped save the whales or brought snacks to the PTA meeting or something that God owes you that you can kind of your prayer can be, well, God, I brought the orange slices to the kids yesterday for the game and, uh, you know, and so I think that you should give me a new car or whatever. That's not how it works. That's how they did it, though. That's what they did. And a lot of people still think like that. And a lot of religions are like that. Hey, I'm doing this. I go this. There's pride in it. There's self-righteousness in it. And they think that God owes them something. But here's the thing. God doesn't owe you anything. Those are all good things that you could go do, okay? All the things I listed. But they don't undo the sinfulness of your rebellion. They can't undo the sinfulness of your rebellion against God. That's why Jesus Christ died for you. Because you couldn't pay the penalty. You couldn't pay the penalty that you deserved. And here's the penalty that you deserved. Death and separation from God. Because he's perfect and holy and you're not. And I'm not. That's why Jesus Christ died. He died and God raised him from the dead. Defeating death and hell. And defeating the chains of sin that hold on to us. That make us a slave to sinfulness. All that's gone. And here Paul comes and he writes... Grace. The reason the Thessalonian believers could have joy and hope in persecution was because of the grace of God. And it says grace and peace. Now here's the thing. There's a reason why I had you circle them both and draw a line. The two words are linked. There is no peace with God without grace. There is no peace with God without grace. I already told you you can't earn it, right? So the only way you're going to have peace with God is by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and the grace that comes through that. The unmerited favor, the free gift that you didn't earn, that's the only way that you're going to have peace. And what's peace? If you get a chance, we did a, a sermon on who is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and we talked about peace, shalom. We talked about what that was, if you want to go back and listen to that. But basically, you're talking about wholeness, wholeness of relationship with God, right? Grace and peace to you. you got to have grace in order to have peace with God. So it was Christ's grace, it was God sending his son who died, who rose again, that created the ability for God to be able to give you grace and look at Jesus instead of look at you so that you could have peace, shalom, wholeness. You can go back to relationship with your creator because you had broken it. You were out of it. And he can bring you back to that. Grace and peace. Look, it's, it's like that in a lot of relationships. My marriage if it was not for the grace that my wife has for me, there would be no peace, I promise you. She would have left long ago. She would have left long ago. Relationships, any relationship that's going to be very deep or last for very long is going to need grace if you want peace, right? My wife, you know, I don't have to have any grace for her because she's perfect, but she has to have grace for me, okay? And, and we're talking about the grace that she shows for me, she does because of the grace she's received from God. And it helps her to know how to give grace for me. Most of my friends have had to show me grace, along with all of my bosses, every teacher I've ever had, other drivers on the road when I'm there, the guy who uses the machine after I do at the gym, because I'm not going to dry that thing off. <laughs> hey, just don't go to my gym, okay? Be less people there. All these people have to have grace for me or there would be no peace in any relationship. God has paid the price so that he can give me grace so that I can have peace with him. And he was the only one who could do it. And he's done, all, he's done the same thing for every one of you that he's called. Every one of you. If you're listening to this study of Thessalonians and you have not experienced the grace of God, of Jesus Christ, that leads to peace. If you have not experienced that, you have not lived. Literally. You are dead spiritually. You have not lived. You have not experienced the most amazing thing that any human being can experience, and that is the reconciliation and restoration, peace in our relationship with God. That is an amazing thing. You can have that today. One of the elders in our church is a guy named John Ware. 
Um, many of you know John. We found out earlier this year that John had cancer, and we thought that he probably didn't have very long to live. Um, there were things that they could do basically to ease the difficulty of the cancer, um, but there was only one cure that could be found, and that was there was, there was, there was one way to bring shalom, peace, to John's body, and that was there had to be a donor, basically like a blood donor, a stem cell donor, okay? And this person had to match John's profile and donate that blood, that stem cells, the marrow, however they did it, so that it would fight the cancer and John could make the cells that he needed to live because he wasn't making the cells that he needed to live and he was going to die. And we praise the Lord because John, the man we thought would possibly be dead by now, is alive and kicking. I don't know if he's kicking much. Um, He's chilling, but he's healing because John's brother James donated those stem cells. Now, John's body is making all new baby white blood cells, and he's recovering. They say his immune system now is like your immune system was when you were a newborn baby. There's new life brought to him, which also means he has to get all the shots that you got when you were a kid, again, which is really weird because he's in his 60s. Um, But he'll be in the pediatrician's office for a few years. I don't know how that works. (laughs) You look a little old for this, sir. Um, There's new peace. There's new shalom in John's body because of that donation. But here's the thing. In this case, the donation was relatively easy. Okay, I'm sure it hurt his brother James somewhat. But nothing like what Jesus has done for you. Because Jesus Jesus donated his blood, because he shed his blood, you can have peace. And not just in your physical body, not primarily in your physical body. Okay? These, in fact, these Thessalonians were actually getting slapped around, right? Physically, they weren't in great shape, but they had spiritual peace and eternal joy and peace with God. Just like John's immune system is starting up new, got rebooted because of a donation, got rebooted and it was new, you can be new because Jesus Christ donated his blood because he gave it for you. And he did more, more than any of us have ever done for anyone to do that for you because he loves you. And you can have that newness today. You can have that newness now, just like the Thessalonians did. You can experience what they experienced. And so we see that we begin here in verse 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to do the whole rest of the chapter here in like five minutes. All right, you ready? Here we go. Everybody's like, oh, no, we're never getting out of here. I don't know who's playing today, but just deal with it. All right. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love. Don't forget, brand new Christians, very little training, work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. In much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. New believers. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God for, to God from idols. Don't want to go the other way around. To God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Listen. These new believers, this is, this is the amazing thing. This is the thing I want you to just kind of take home with you. Okay, Paul is giving thanks to God for this church, which they basically had to orphan and abandon because of the, the persecution that was coming. They had to leave them there with very little teaching, these new believers in this broken, messed up culture. And not only did they survive, but they thrived. They, they thrived. They had so little training, and they were facing persecution. And God is being thanked because of their work of faith. 
their labor of love, their patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in, sight, in the sight of our God and Father. They knew they were, they, they were assured, they were, they were certain that they had been saved, that their daddy, that their father loved them. They were part of God's kingdom. They were part of Christ's church. They were, they were committed to that. They understood that. How I, I, Look, I have a hangnail, and I start questioning the whole thing, right? Enough pain, a headache, or whatever. I'm like, all right, what's it all about? I don't like this, okay? These are brand new believers. I don't really do that, okay, every time I get a headache, although I really don't like headaches. But you know what I'm saying? We struggle with difficult things. These people are brand new baby Christians. And somehow, under affliction, they're still certain of their salvation, working, believing in the Holy Spirit, having joy in him. And because of that, because they were like that, all of Macedonia and Achaia, that's basically all of Greece, their example was going out to all of them, the believers. We're all seeing these people and going, whoa, wow. And then it says, not just them, but to everybody. This is sounded forth not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. In every place, the Thessalonians' way of life, these that were following Christ even under persecution, was making an impact like the ripple from a rock in the middle of a pond going out all over throughout the world. The fact that they turned from idols to God, to God from this idolatry and this nonsense, and then their faith was working, and they were trusting, using their spiritual gifts, loving one another. It was changing the world. This little group of people. And all I had to do was believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead, believe that they would be delivered from the wrath to come and the judgment that comes to those who don't accept the grace that's freely given. And they changed the world. They believed they were identified with Christ, with his body. They believed they were in the family of God. And what did they do? They behaved consistently with those beliefs. The things they did made it clear that they actually believed those things. If we actually believed what God has told us about who we are, about what he has promised us, about what eternity looks like, about what we're up against, what might our lives look like? What might they look like? These people had, look, you can go online and listen to a thousand great Bible teachers, right? You can even hear our church online. You can go and get, uh, just on the internet, you can find Bible study tools and whatever. You can get all the teaching that you want. And you have basically no persecution, okay? Nothing to speak of. I doubt any one of you has shed blood for the gospel. Maybe you have, but it'd be very few of you that have. Shed blood for the gospel. We have all those advantages. And are we rocking the world? We should be. I think we will. I think we can. But we got to take a page out of this book of the Thessalonians and the way that they lived. It wasn't like they were able to teach this amazing stuff. They didn't have all that. Well, what did they have? They had the ability to stand strong in their faith, believing that God loved them and started loving each other. And that was enough. That example was enough to start changing all of Greece and going out through the world. It's simpler than you think. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to know everything. Now, is it good to study the Word? Heck yeah, it's good. We do it every week. We're going to keep doing it. Are those things important? Yes. But what do you need? You need to believe on Jesus Christ. You need to live like you believe on Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe and do. Believe, do. Live like the things that you say you believe are true. That's what they did. And they were able to change the world. I know that God will use us. I know that he will use us if we're willing to change the world. If we're willing. They were willing and the Holy Spirit worked through them even in their weakness. If we're willing, God will work through us. Don't you want that? I want that. I want that. I want to live like these Thessalonians lived, simply, effectively. And look, we're going to go through this book. They had some issues still. They weren't perfect by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but they were working in faith and love and hope, just like we are trying to do, just like we will do. They're proclaiming the King of kings, Jesus Christ. And that testimony went out like ripples through the world. And if we do it, we can do the same. Look, we're still reading about these people today. We're still reading. People all over, of, of, uh, all over the world, there's probably however many churches that are actually studying the same thing we study today. We're still 
reading about the Thessalonians because God used their, their witness, their faith, the work of, of just trusting him and believing him and living like they believe. He used that to affect the world greatly all the way from then to 2,000 years. Now, listen, here's the thing. If you and I will be willing to let the Holy Spirit work in us like they were willing to have the Holy Spirit work in them, then God will write our story across eternity too. And you will be those at Acts Church who have done amazing things, who people are thanking God for the fervency of your belief, for the seriousness of your walk. Where people are looking at you and going, man, I thank God every day for you. It's like Paul thanked God for the Thessalonians because, of the, because you're standing strong, because your faith is real, and because I can see that you do what you say you believe. That's what these guys were doing. It wasn't any more significant than that. I'm out of time, so we're going to close with prayer. Father, thank you for all that you've shown us in your word today. We thank you that we have the opportunity. We don't have to be the best at anything. We don't have to be super smart or super special uh, or, or super uh, talented. All we have to do is believe in you and then act consistently with that belief. Lord, and I just pray you give us the strength and the power, not just to do that, but to see the places where we need to do that or we're not doing that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize where we're not making the cut, where we're not living in a way that's consistent with what we say we believe. Lord, and I thank you that so many of the people in this church really are, really are sold out to you, Lord. And let this be an encouragement to us to keep going because we saw what you did for the Thessalonians, what you allowed their work to do. And we know you can do the same thing for us. But for those, Lord, if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't experienced that grace that leads to peace, who doesn't know what it means to go from death to life, who doesn't know what it means to say, I was going to go to hell and now I'm going to heaven. I'm in Jesus Christ because all of that is real. Rejection of you, Lord, carries real consequences, and I pray you would put that heavily on the hearts of those who have been rejecting you and call them close to yourself so that they will accept you, that they will live for you. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, it really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.